0: Liam okay, came. well, Liam, so was like, I can't hear him. Hello, I'm in the library. it's just me that seems to have problems. I don't know why.
1: What's up, Polo people? Welcome to the North Side Polo Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin, here with my friends, and of course, also my teammates, Alex. Hey, what's up? And the emphatic. The amazing. Liam. Wow,
0: thank you. Yes, I am here.
1: Hey, yeah, I, I felt like you needed a compliment, dude. I just want to know that you to know that you're loved and I appreciate you, Alex. <laughs> you're pretty cool too. Um, I
2: mean, I'm just hearing that I am neither emphatic nor amazing.
1: No, I'd say you're more stupendous <laughs> and um, great. Alex the Great. <laughs> this guy's calling me stupid. <laughs> Alex the Great. <laughs> That's not what I said at all. Oh my gosh! A guy can't give a guy a compliment anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's a tragedy. Well, let's jump right into the news, guys, because we have news today. Alex, you want to take away with the first piece of exciting news?
2: Yeah. So, a couple, I guess, a month ago at this point, it, it's been a while. It's been it's been long enough that I forgot about it. Uh, <laughs> I said that. on this podcast that I was going to order a cheap carbon fork from China and try it out on my polo bike. And I, I took my time. I did some good good shopping on AliExpress and I sourced out what I thought looked like a very nice, beefy cheap. It was about ninety dollars total shipped with uh shipped well, yeah about ninety dollars <laughs> yeah ninety dollars shipped I mean I ordered it with a bunch of other stuff and they ended up getting shipped separately so the other stuff hasn't arrived but they only charged me for the one shipping so ninety dollars shipped but like that's not on its own if that makes sense so I don't I don't want to say it'll be ninety dollars if you order one. We can figure that out. Anyway I found a very cheap very beefy looking carbon Uh, fork that looked pretty close in measurements to the Fixcraft fork, and it arrived. So it it actually came in, and uh, I have it in my possession
0: right now. Nice. Is that kind of a game you play with AliExpress? You're just like, it might not actually show up. We'll never know.
2: (laughs) This is the first time I've ordered through them, so... okay. (laughs) 100% so far, though. So I did order as I said, I ordered other stuff with it. So I ordered, um, it was the same company that I placed the order from, but it was like two separate orders because of the way that the store worked. Um, it was a weird, not particularly streamlined online checkout experience. Um, but I, so I also ordered like bars, STEM, seat posts, just all car, all just cheap carbon. You know, uh, I want to, I want to bling this bike out in just cheap carbon. <laughs> um, and so when you order the other stuff, they said you have to specify like a size and bar length and, and, and whatnot. Um, and they didn't have like, you know, when you order stuff online, usually there's like menus. You can click the thing to tell them what you want to order. Uh, they didn't have that. So I actually had to like message the seller and be like and say, uh, please send me this length of handlebar, this length of stem, this size of C post, that sort of thing. Uh, which felt a little sketchy, but it seemed like it seemed like I put it in, sent it to the thing, and I was like, well, I hope they got it. Uh, and for the most part, they did, but because it's through AliExpress and I don't have the app and it doesn't go to my phone, uh, they responded, and they said, like, hey, we don't have... Uh, I had asked for a 120 millimeter stem, and they were like, hey, we don't have one. What size do you want? And I just didn't log in to check it, so... Uh, I finally He'd message me Every week For the past four weeks Being like Hello What what size of stem Do you want Uh, And I finally (laughs) I finally logged in Because I was like Oh it's weird Only half my shipment Showed up and I saw all these messages and I'm like, oh God, 110 is fine. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> please, please ship that. <laughs> so I based on how long it took the fork to come in a month, I'll probably have this other stuff. Oh, well. So yeah, so far, 100%, one, one for one on the AliExpress shipment. We'll see how the the second one goes. Didn't have to pay duty, which huh. I was surprised. I was expecting to get like a call or an email or something saying, we have your fork at customs. You paid this much to get it in. And instead I just came home after working
1: and there was this fork shaped package on my doorstep. Pretty cool. I want to just point out when I was scoffing at the price, $90 shipped, it wasn't because like that was expensive shipping. It's because that seems like a really cheap fork to put on your bike that you're going to play like a really extreme sport on. Um, Have you thought this through completely? Like, aren't you afraid of just catastrophic failure and like slicing your throat on carbon splinters? I mean, I snapped the
2: full steel fixcraft fork endo turning after two seasons. So cost wise, it, I think this is going to be if I can get two seasons out of this. It, you know, I could actually afford to break one every two seasons and keep putting a new one on my bike. Uh, I I could probably afford like ninety dollars for a fork. I mean, man, I'm just flying through bike parts. If you if you add up like the actual turnover of parts on your bike like how many tires pedals cleats rims chains brake pads that might at this stage brakes uh frames all all this stuff that like i actually like wear through brake levers seats like bike polo is probably the most destructive thing i've ever done on a bicycle
1: more than mountain biking
2: oh definitely i had a very nice mountain bike that i took very good care of i have a very nice polo bike that i i take pretty good care of but i feel like just the act of bike polo like <laughs> mountain biking if you slammed on your brakes in a, in a way that you would like lift your front wheel and then try to do a, a turn on it like if you were doing that it was maybe once a month in like that random moment where you're out of desperation and you took a jump wrong in polo i'm doing that like once every three minutes <laughs> fair
0: <laughs> yeah you put it through the
2: gamut now. it is pretty strenuous so the four came in and initial impression is really good it looks it basically looks like a fixed craft fork like it's very similar in shape and profile the tubing is a little bit beefier like it's a little thicker it is a wicked stiff fork like i think much stiffer than the the steel uh fixed craft fork which i'm i'm excited to try
1: interesting what's your plan for this carbon fork like are you going to be like You told me you might film some videos of yourself doing it. What's the plan here? In my
2: mind, this is a win-win situation. The worst case scenario right now is that I have wasted $90 and I'm going to hurt myself testing this fork out. I think that's the worst thing that could happen in this situation. What's more likely to happen is either I can confirm that you should not, in fact, play bike polo on a cheap carbon fork... A lot of people in the polo community maybe knew that already, but this way I can at least confirm that for everyone so that anyone that is tempted like I was to try this can know that in fact it is not a good idea if it fails. What I'm kind of optimistically thinking is that maybe this is a really good deal or a really good value way of lightening up uh, a polo bike or lightening up components. Because for myself, like I've been breaking forks. like This is actually a problem for me. Uh, so having an affordable solution to that, that might help or might make it easier for people to modify their fixie or their commuter bike to be a better polo bike. This could be a really affordable, kind of universally accessible way of, of doing that. And that the potential for that makes me very excited.
1: And it's pretty cool. Just one thought for you before we move on to the next piece of news. Have you ever thought that maybe the reason why you're breaking so many forks is because your forks are so unnecessarily long? Like you could <laughs> shrink that fork by, I don't know, three inches and just be a shorter lever, right? If you went to 26, then. I mean, just a suggestion. I looked at
2: hundreds of forks before I ordered this one. The difference is not that big in size uh, because by the time you account for tire clearance and a lot of the 26-inch forks,
1: they. I was surprised how not that different they were i'm just messing with you man <laughs> i'm just messing with you it's okay We don't need to get into the nitty-gritty i know you're 700 for life and it's perfectly fine the other piece of news we got to get to i actually have something i can say it's a little a thing i could admit but
0: i'll let i'll let liam explain <clears throat> it's a bit of contradicting our news from maybe last week or two weeks ago or two episodes ago rather when we said it's officially the off season but we often we seem to get these nice spells of weather the court is dry and why don't we go play some polo so last sunday we all got out for a little polo action in ottawa which was great to see some of well see people again and probably i don't want to say it'll be the last time for sure because who knows we might have another like so true (laughs) either we might have another nice window of weather or or otherwise but yeah we got out there and Took the bike out for one last rip. It was great. Yeah,
1: and I I actually put my bike um, into the shop because I'm moving a lot of my parts over to my new Enforcer one three so my bikes are all in the shop. So I had to play. 700c it fixed gear bike polo and it was just it was the best wasn't it it was weird <laughs> i i was stopping so many shots with my wheels they were so big yeah now you see the power <laughs> the power i think i'd see more of it if my ratio wasn't so big and my fork wasn't so raked out on my fixie but, but there's
0: a chance you could replace that with a cheap carbon one and get all the benefit <laughs> maybe maybe yeah you were pushing a big gear The only edge I had on Gavin was the fact that he had to accelerate, like it was harder for him to accelerate. And I was like, ha ha, I can beat you now.
2: Did you get messed up by it being a fixie? Because that is the thing that I find the hardest to wrap my head around. I cannot shoot. Anytime I tried to play the ball when I, I played polo on a fixed gear, I try to I like stop pedaling and I just get bucked over the handlebar every time I make a play.
1: No, I didn't get messed up by that. I don't know. I think when I'm playing polo a lot of time, especially when I'm practicing, I definitely put a premium on doing all my moves while coasting, while pedaling at speed, these kinds of things. So it, to me it doesn't really make much of a difference. And I mean, I've been riding fixie commuter for like 10 years. So I don't know. I I really don't see a difference. The cool thing was being able to like pedal backwards and ride backwards a little bit here and there. That was pretty interesting, actually. I, if I had a lower <laughs> ratio fixie, I, I'd be interested to see what it might be like to play on that. I I know John Hayes talked. I guess
2: last year or the year before about potentially making a return to bike polo, but doing so as a left as a lefty, like just arbitrarily changing up how he's approaches the game just so that he can re-experience the learning curve and the fun of being a new polo player yeah uh i wonder if fix gear like coming back is like if i tried to play with my non-dominant hand on a fixie if that would be a good way to like learn to be a rookie all over
1: you know maybe i don't know i think there might be some advantages to playing fixie maybe that's something we can talk about in another episode maybe we can get zach on yeah we should i think he's one of the most prolific fixie players out there especially on the (laughs) east coast why don't we uh, get to this main topic because i'm kind of I'm ready to move on and talk about this. I think we could just pass on this main topic. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's so brutal. And the audience will understand why in a second. I apologize to all the listeners who had to deal with that pun. Um, I wish Alex had passed on the opportunity. Okay. <laughs> so I've been asking to do this topic since day one. It's something that I guess, I don't know if I feel super passionately about, but I think it's something we should talk about. I'm of a strange opinion in bike pole, and I think passing in general is one of the most overrated things in bike polo. We have to play with this guy. Hear me out before you start judging me and calling me a terrible team player, which has happened in the past when I raised this opinion out. I just think that a lot of people, especially in North sides, they watch ice hockey, they watch the NHL, and they go, wow, look at all the passing, the cross passes, whoa, two on one break, he passes across, the goalie can't cover it. And they think that's the same thing that we're doing in bike polo. And it's just absolutely could not be further from the truth receiving passes and passing in bike polo is way harder than in hockey because of the directionality of our bike control. The surfaces we're passing to and from, the whole handedness, like if you're passing, like if you're two righties doing a cross pass, one of you has to be passing through your bike, which is something no hockey player ever has to experience. And they can stop way better and go backwards if they want to. It's just just a way better thing to do in hockey than it is in bike polo. Yep. I just think we overpass in a lot of cases, and there are some passes in particular that I absolutely hate.
2: I think the points you bring up are pretty valid. The way I think of it, I kind of bring it back to the way that we were talking about uh, offense and the we talked we broke it down to shot percentage in a situation where you can make a pass to a teammate. The hope is that like the only situation you should be making a pass to a teammate is where doing so prevents a turnover or dramatically increases the scoring percentage. And it has to be a dramatic increase because
1: you're anytime you make a pass, you risk a turnover, right? The worst pass in bike pole, it might be one of the most common passes, and it absolutely drives me crazy, is two righties going up the wings of the court. One has the ball, and they try and cross pass it. And they're both facing their opponent's net. I have seen so many amazing teams lose games where that pass gets picked off two or three times and it's an immediate two-on-one the other direction. That's assuming the third player's even back. Yeah, true.
2: Sometimes it's the last back that they're trying to pass to and they're both facing the same direction and then it's just an open net.
1: Yeah, and it just becomes an immediate breakaway and I've seen so many good teams lose by trying to do these cross passes and I'm just like, why are we doing this? Like, passing is so hard and the average bike polo player is nowhere near as good as the average nhl player so when you're watching those ice games they're so much better at hockey than even the best bike polo player is at bike polo and passing still hard for them it still triggers a lot of turnovers and for us to think we can do that on a bike at our like amateur level it just seems really naive to me and uh, quite frankly i think all the bike pole teams that i played on could have stood to pass a lot less when you think about like what can go wrong in a pass, the actual
2: how I make contact with the ball, just knowing me, I'm gonna mess that up a decent amount of the time. Maybe maybe one in five, maybe not like that much, but at least like one in five of the times I try to go for a pass, it's gonna be 20, 30 degrees off target and just completely miss the target, right? The passes that I do hit on target, there's a decent chance it like hits a rock or the ball spins or like something weird happens and it doesn't quite end up on the mallet of my teammate. Then one of the hardest things that I I struggle with the most in bike polo is receiving a pass, especially at speed. So hard. It's so hard because you can't cradle a ball. Like it's so much easier to cradle a ball in hockey. A soccer balls, they're soft balls. It's easier to catch and receive a pass. In bike polo, first of all, our balls warm up. So it's an unpredictable uh, how bouncy that ball is going to be and it changes over the course of a game so knowing how hard to tap that ball to settle it down and to get control over it quickly is i think i think that's one of the most underrated and most difficult things to do in bike polo
1: there's one player that comes to mind when i think about receiving passes in Northside, and that is uh, Brody Barry from ottawa his elite skill is pass receiving What he does better than anyone is receiving passes. It doesn't matter if it's behind him, in front of him, he'll get it on his stick. Just unlocks the offense in so many ways, especially when you're playing a more pass-heavy system. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Alex. Like Receiving passes is one of those really difficult skills and really difficult to practice skills, especially when you're two righties and you're going up on the team together. If it's a lefty and a righty and you can both have the arm on the inside, it's a little bit easier, I can understand. But when you're trying to receive a pass
0: across your bike, like, it's so hard. What's the alternative, though? Like, if you're saying, like, well, we just shouldn't pass the ball. Don't pass. Just don't pass. I'm just saying it makes it a lot easier for defenders than to saying, well, we can just double this guy because he's not going to pass. You know, it's the same thing in, like, football. Like, not soccer football, but American football. They're very different games. But, you know, the tradition was always to run the ball because passing was too risky. Nowadays, the pass offense is so potent that it's, like, part of the game. I know the two aren't exactly, like, comparable because of the dynamics of the sport and stuff, but if you don't have a sort of pass offense, then it really limits your output, I think.
2: No, I I think that's a good comparison because you can see in the NFL or even at the college level, like, teams that have a quarterback that is a threat to throw – even if they end up running the ball 90% of the time, having the threat... Keeps them on their toes. It forces the defense to respect the threat of the throw. And I, I think that's more the role that passing should play in the situation where the other team shamelessly double commit on you, be able to pass. And those are the situations where passing shines, right? But I think what Gavin's saying is so often I see teams where they're not being pressured. They just don't have a really good shot at that moment. And they're making a really risky cross pass to a teammate that, yeah, if if your teammate had the ball in that position at that moment and they could settle it, they probably have a good shot from that spot. But that's a lot of ifs to make a cross pass when you don't have someone back.
1: Yeah, I think you raise a really valid point, Liam. The passing offense particularly, there's a lot of potential there. And I see it too. And when I think about cross passing, um. I think there's a lot of potential there as well, but I just don't like the cross pass where both players are facing the same direction while they do it. For example, like let's say I have the ball. Instead of cross passing when I'm coming towards the net, why don't I take the ball around my opponent's net and then cross pass as I'm facing back towards my own net? That way, if the ball gets turned over, I'm in a direction where I can recover much more easily and defend that player who might get the ball, right? But it's so often we just don't think that way through. And of course, one pass that is so effective in bike pole, we see it all the time by high level teams is the drop pass, which is really like the bread and butter of good offense in a lot of teams systems. It's so powerful. And I think that those passing like an offense, like in football, it's a great analogy, actually. It's not a bad one because when you look at football at the professional level, the NFL, the CFL, there's tons of passing. When you get to the high school level or the youth football level, passing decreases significantly. And it's just about like maybe if we had professional athletes playing um, bike polo and they devoted their lives to it, maybe passing would be a much more effective strategy and could open up the game in ways that we don't have right now. But I just don't think there's anyone in the world who are good enough at bike polo to make that offense work. Like the average professional hockey player is way better than the average world champion bike polo player at their respective sports.
2: I would have to disagree with you there just purely because if you watched how mosquito played and ran their offense at when they won uh, as the na na's defending champs they were running what i would call straight up hockey plays like i could not believe the percentage of the time they converted on like w- like it felt like they were taking sh- i would call them shots not even passes off target that were being deflected in and like, if you can execute at that level of precision, that consistently, then I would say that you are playing like a hockey team. And then like, by all means, play like a hockey team. Um, I think maybe people can do that. But I also feel like if you can do that, you know, you can do that. And you're not listening to us for advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We got to know
1: our <laughs> target audience, right? But maybe in that case, then it's a bad thing to say, like, Don't pass at all because obviously (laughs) if if people are playing at that level, maybe that's something we should be striving for and it's something we should be practicing, right? A big example I've seen is like in youth basketball, the coach is like, don't put the ball between your legs. Don't put the ball between your legs, pass like fundamentals. But then those kids on those teams grow up and they don't have the skills that they need to succeed at the next level. So maybe we should be coaching more passing. I don't know. I just, am really sick of that cross pass in particular. And maybe I need to back off my take a little bit because I love drop passes And I love the, like, wrap around the back of the net cross passes, but uh, just smarter passes, looking at how bikes are positioned when you make the pass, because if it does fuck up, like, let's have a backup plan, you know? I
2: wouldn't say that passing is overrated. Well, I think, sorry, I think passing is overrated because people do it too much, but I think that some passes are far riskier than others. People should, you know, play accordingly. Like, if you're in a tournament game and you're trying hard to you know you were trying to play and you're doing your best to win and you're trying to be competitive recognize when you're making a really risky pass sometimes it's going to be worth it like if you're down and you're playing a team that is maybe better than you and you're not breaking their defense and you need to pull something out and they're covering you too closely like yeah maybe taking a risky pass is what you're going to need but recognize that you're taking that risk when you do it the classic drop pass that i love is when I can bring the ball forward in front of my wheel, but I have my body between me and the defender, and I turn and I, I sort of threaten to just drive down the, the right side of the court. And if they don't cover my front wheel with their bike, I can just ride past them, right? If they roll forward to cover my front wheel, which almost every good defender will do, and my teammate is behind me I can just drop the ball off and they can cut down the left side and the defender's already committed on the right it's such an easy play to execute
1: and I'm not really passing I'm just stopping the momentum on the ball
2: and
0: riding away
1: yeah you're setting up a one-on-one for your teammate basically and if they can beat that one defender and get a good shot then you're getting high percentage looks almost every time you run that play
2: and the thing is you can just run that play back to back to back where one of you takes it to their dominant side if the defender covers you properly, then you drop it to your teammate, and then you cycle back around, and then the other person does the same thing. And if the defender covers them properly, they drop it, and you come back and pick it up, and you just you do it until either the defense gets bored, or what really happens in bike polo is at some point they stop. They the defender tries to predict the drop pass, and then you just ride past them on the breakaway.
1: Yeah, if you can predict it that well, like reading the defense and saying, okay, they're not covering my front wheel. Now I can drive to the net or they are covering my front wheel. I can't. And guessing wrong can mean turnovers and things. And every pass is hard. Like there's always an opportunity for a turnover on every pass. So I mean, if I'm playing defense and they're cycling through that, like drop pass pattern four or five times before they get a good shot, I feel like I'm doing my job because there's lots of opportunities for them to mess that up there. I think it's important to have your whole team be involved on offense so that people are buying in but I just think safer passes that keep people involved, share the ball are better. And I've played so many games where I have the ball and my teammates calling for what is a really risky pass. And I might fake the pass and look them off and cycle back around and try to set something else up. Like, why didn't you pass me the ball there? I'm like, well, I try to get into this conversation about, you know, there's a big risk involved in this and it doesn't go my way, but, uh, I don't know it's just interesting and I I would love to hear what you guys think about passing as like a team concept and morale and all those kinds of
0: things. You take the position like passing is overrated. It comes off a bit, you know, arrogant obviously because you're like, well, I don't trust any of my teammates.
2: Okay, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, rest in peace. I'm all for the smarter passes and sort of recognizing the positionality. And yeah, not just passing for the sake of passing, like obviously you want to be most effective with your Offensive scoring chance, but it's also it is an issue of morale because you obviously you want to involve your team and you want to have fun Right, you know, you're not, you don't want to just be the person being like well Passing is dumb man. I'm just gonna be line to the net and whack it and then um, You know see what happens, which you know, you could you could sort of take that position of like uh, Yeah, passing is dumb. I'm just gonna shoot it at the net, you know, sort of a free-for-all <laughs> uh, Style offense. Yeah, just get the rebound just go get my rebounds.
2: The, the thing that I take issue with when it comes to team morale, and I can say this from experience as Gavin's teammate, never getting passed to in tournaments. What, what? <laughs> what, what I do if I'm up with him and I know that he wants to play sort of an isolation offense, that doesn't mean that I'm doing nothing just because I don't have the ball and Gavin does and we're on offense. Like we've talked about stories with Elias where just because i don't have the ball like i can try and set a moving screen for him so that he can be even more effective and we don't need to rely on that pass right just because your teammate has the ball and they're not passing to you doesn't mean that you're not part of the offense you can still be doing a lot to generate goals and opportunities for your teammate like setting a moving screen is one of the things you can do oftentimes there's two defenders, so they're one of them is going to be covering you. So positioning yourself in a way that that second defender has to choose between covering you or double teaming. Like don't let them cover both, and don't let that second defender clog up a potential shooting lane. Force them to choose. Like they're either going to cover me and be useless to this play and leave the other leave the other defender on an island, uh, or force them to uh, to commit to the double team, and then you are
1: an open pass that's it's way easier to pass to someone that's wide open too right such a good point around the gravity of players right and what i mean by gravity is that player's ability to pull in defenders even when they don't have the ball right so if i'm coming down the court and let's say i'm a player with a lot of gravity um even if i don't have the ball Certain defenders might say, okay, I have to be close to that guy because he's a big scoring threat or she's a big scoring threat and we don't want them to get the ball. So they'll naturally shade over more and that makes them not be a second goalie or double team, puts them out of position if their teammate gets beat. And that's a huge thing. You know, you can set screens, you can use your gravity, you can move off ball in a dynamic way to threaten drop passes. Like so many times I'll come around, swing around to do a drop pass and my teammate won't drop the ball to me. But their defender thinks they're going to because I have this level of gravity. And then my teammate now has an open lane to the net, right? And it's not because they passed to me or we did anything. It's simply because my off-ball movement drew that player away because they thought we were going to drop the ball um, when we did not
2: And the inverse is true, too.
1: Yeah, for sure. The inverse can be true, too. I mean, sometimes they're like so... Pull towards the player with the ball or that they double team and then you can do a quick outlet and score a goal is that what you mean Alex
2: well I, I I mean like um the the perfect example is like you don't have to necessarily even be a player with gravity for that to work because it works when you don't have gravity too I think a lot of players especially if you're a new player and you're playing with sort of more experienced people on a team off when it gets to serious games you're going to have other teams are not going to respect your scoring opportunity as much and they're probably going to err on the side of double teaming your more experienced teammate and you can use that to your advantage like when we play when I play with Toronto and New York for for SB I ended up scoring like a lot more goals than players that are quite frankly much better at scoring than I am and I think a big part of that is because if I'm on a line with Adam and Nico a lot of the time the defense just wouldn't cover me and I'm getting I'm getting to just walk in completely open to the edge of the slot and then you know Adam and Nico and you know, like everybody on that Toronto team, they're more than good enough, they're more than good enough to hit me with a pass, and if I'm just sitting there wide open, like, one out of three times, I will hit that, I will at least hit the net. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, like, those, those, those add up, yeah. right? Like, you know, it feels great if you're a player with gravity and people are, you know, they're covering you, and you're like, oh, you know, people respect your scoring ability, but it all, honestly, if you, if defenses are maybe not or under-respecting you or they're not covering you as tightly as possible, like, that's actually better, I would argue, Um, because that feels great. You just get to you can take big rips all day.
1: (laughs) One thing I will say that bothers me a lot is, well, I guess it doesn't bother me, but it's just advice I can give to newer players. Maybe is like when you don't have the ball, think about what you're doing to help out your teammate with the ball. It's not necessarily I think in bike pool in particular, it's not necessarily the person with the ball's responsibility to get you the ball. Your responsibility is to put yourself in a position where you're making the defense make a decision, right? So if you're just sitting by their net and the other person has the ball and you're expecting them to pass to you and you're just stopped tripodting, you know, five feet left of their net, your teammates on the right side and right like, cross pass, I'm open, cross pass, I'm open. Well, like the lane to that pass isn't always there. And even if it is, it's kind of a risky pass because all the goalie has to do is poke, check the ball and then they have a breakaway the other way. Right? So, Make sure you're moving off ball and trying to set up situations like look for the cross pass. It's not there. Okay. I'm going to go back around the net and look for the drop pass. Okay. It's not there. I'm going to come back into the slot. Maybe they can hit me here. No. And now I'm going to go back around the back of the net again and look for another drop pass. Just keep cycling through things because that's going to make you a better target and like do things that are like far away passes and then close easy passes and then far away high risk passes and then close easy passes. Just give your teammate a lot of options. And by making that movement and doing those things, you're also making the Defense adapt. And if they make a mistake, hopefully you or your teammate can capitalize. I think that is a key point, right? That off-ball movement is so important and underutilized by a lot of newer and beginner players. But it's really hard to read. It takes time like to figure that out, you know. Yeah. I have
2: been frustrated in tournaments before where our offense has stalled out against teams good defense. And if I have the ball and my teammate is following me, like they're just behind me, but they're also covered, or they're not in a position a pass accomplishes anything and they're not moving and they're doing the same thing it's like come on just just do something else like okay I have the ball I'm being I'm being covered pretty tightly like I don't want to just turn it over so like we keep resetting but like if we're resetting and you come in behind me every time and we look for the same drop pass and the second defender is clearly covering that like let's just change it up let's do something else let's try something different. You know, I've definitely been guilty of this. I fall in love with the drop pass sometimes. Well, and and I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't think you need to completely change what you're doing. If you're doing some, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over, it becomes easier for the defense to read it. So at least like try something different.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, if you're out there listening and you think we've gone off our rockers on drop passes and passing and saying, no, passing's overrated as a blanket statement and kind of all agreeing on it. (laughs) I was really expecting a lot more pushback from you too when I brought this up. But uh, I think I kind of fell back on myself a little bit and just said, you know, it's just specific passes I don't like and that are overrated, but passing in general might be a bit overrated. But if you're listening, you think we've gone off our rocker, send us an email, Northside Polo Podcast. Let us know why you think passing's great. We'll definitely read it in the air and you can have your voice heard. Um, We'd love that from the audience and from the listenership. What's our next topic here? Who's in charge of this one? Oh I am Oh, Liam. oh shoot.
0: Um, yeah, it's okay. Our <laughs> secondary topic is a kind of a fun one to contrast our serious discussion as always about passing. Um, it is what pro athlete you would want to see playing bike polo? Um, so I guess pro athlete encompassing anybody who's like a you know professional athlete, obviously.
2: So, hold on, I, I just want to, like, in my head when I was thinking about this, I'm picturing, like, whatever pro athlete we're talking about, like, they've dedicated their life to polo instead of whatever they're doing, and they're the same level of proficient or dominant within polo. Like, I'm picturing, it, I'm not picturing, like, LeBron James picks up bike polo, joins his local club, and starts as a rookie that can barely stand on a bike, you know? I'm picturing LeBron James plays bike polo, and he's, like, just weaving through the mongrels and doing making the mongrels look like the golden state warriors in those in the titles that he he took from them you know like
1: golden state won <laughs> all of those they, except for one they want all of them but i see differently alex i think of this question more as being like they take their natural abilities they have now all those skills the coordination the muscles they built all these things and then we put them in a polo lab for like three years get them up to speed and unleash them on the polo world That's how I kind of imagine it because like... With the same dedication that they have. Yeah. If I think about LeBron James in the context you put him in just now, like he would be nothing like he is because so much of what he is is like the millions and millions of dollars he's invested into his body, into his mentality, Um, the professional trainers he's had since he was like 12 years old. Like he wouldn't be the athlete he is today if he was playing polo instead of basketball because he wouldn't have made any money. But
2: imagine how good a polo he would be. (laughs)
0: <laughs> amazing.
1: well is that the answer to your side of the question
2: that that was the first person that came to my mind which i don't know if that's necessarily who i would choose but that's definitely the first person that came to my mind was maybe it's just the ptsd of watching him single-handedly destroy toronto in the postseason every time they've played the idea of of if i could play with anyone i'm like oh i want to see lebron just style on people
0: liam what what's your athlete well what if we had some like professional cyclists come in and play it or try it out? Like, uh, you know, Chris Froome or someone from tour de France or like, uh, I would say Lance Armstrong. Everyone a knows dirty cheater. Right? You know, <laughs> obviously, obviously been exposed as a, as a cheater, right? Surprise, surprise. But even that's even more exciting. You know what bike Polo needs? More steroids. We need more drugs i mean people are already doped up in a
1: different way it'd be exciting to have lance in there just because i think about how many eyes that would bring to the sport yeah i agree and like how many cyclists would be like oh i gotta try this now lance did it you know what i mean or chris Froome, or whoever it is that'd be pretty cool
0: well yeah that's true the cycling is sort of a secondary to the like you know general sport like i think of like yeah cycling as to like playing a court sport where you have like court awareness, right? Like obviously those people that are like played hockey or, or s- basketball or any other like sport that's played in an arena would have an edge to someone who's like a long distance runner or a you know long distance cyclist. I'm
1: gonna say it. I think LeBron James would be way better at polo than Lance Armstrong. Even if you just took them right now and gave them a month to practice, well, yeah. I think LeBron would be way better than Lance <laughs> even though Lance has been on a bike his whole life <laughs> yeah just in coordination and like understanding team dynamics I feel like there'd be a big thing there also LeBron's like six foot eight or six foot nine and it'd be interesting to see how someone that tall would uh affect the court especially on defense I want to see Taco Fall play uh bike pull <laughs> <laughs> for those listening who don't know who Taco Fall is yeah how tall is he? He's like he's seven foot seven. He's yeah. huge. He plays for the Boston Celtics. Well, he sits on the bench for the Boston. Celtics. <laughs> but maybe he'll see some minutes. No, he's, he, he's played. He, a he bit. sits on the bench, but he also
2: uh, supports
1: the ceiling at the same time because he's that tall. He, he's huge. But can you imagine, like, if he was on the court as, like, let's say the number two, right, the middle defender? Like, where would you be able to hide with the ball on a small court like EV? I don't know if you'd be able to get away from him. Like, he might be able to just reach you everywhere.
2: Would he be allowed to play with a longer mallet? Would he like? Would his mallet be allowed to be longer because of his body proportions? Oh, that's a whole other pet peeve of mine. Would he just have like the tiniest little mallet? You know what I mean. He wouldn't need a long mallet (laughs) in
1: relation to his arm. Like, I don't think it would matter what bike he's riding. Yeah, no. His arm's still dragging on the ground. Like, he could touch the ground without bending over. No, his arm would be the longer mallet. All right, if you tell
2: me that guy needs a twenty-six inch, like, I'm, I'm leaving. (laughs) Like, he definitely needs the larger, the larger wheel. A twenty-six would be like riding a BMX compared to his frame
1: he also weighs like 300 pounds so he probably would want like smaller oh more like compact wheels <laughs> my athlete i would pick um serena williams without a doubt uh i just think like the tennis muscles would come in handy so much more for shooting and like if we put serena williams like the possibly like the best tennis player ever on the bike polo court like her natural athleticism would and her muscles and core strength, I think, would just lend herself to picking up technique really fast. And can you imagine the rips?
0: Yeah, true. Like
1: it would just be insane. They'd be
0: going through
2: the boards. She's already good at talking back to refs, so I guess she's got that part of the game oh covered. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is ridiculous because I think all the athletes we've talked about have talked back to refs at various. <laughs> I think Serena about. gets Serena gets uh, unfair criticism for that. I don't. I don't want to contribute <laughs> to the to that problematic <laughs> narrative. But
0: um <laughs> oh. Yeah, and tennis is such a weird sport, like in terms of the like interactions between this the, the referees and the like people yeah. that play it. Like like yeah but, but like and yeah it's it's very biased I think because of like you know people like John McEnroe who was like a total asshole and would just like scream and yell at the ref. he was entertaining to watch but like the fact that like nowadays you like say something to a ref and it's just like all right, booked like that's it, you lose. Like it's, it's just like what? Like come on. What about people like um
1: Danny Max or whatever that guy's name is? Yeah, that 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 guy oh, was yeah. on my list cuz
0: That could be cool. I
2: I just I would love. I actually brought up I was looking up like uh pro flatland BMX champions. Uh like I don't know how to even say this guy's name, Dominic uh Nicol Nicoloni. Hey Flatland BMX world champions. I just want to see someone with that level of bike control. And I think Danny McCaskill is in that conversation. I want to see what they could do to the game. Like I, I, I don't know what, but they would, they'd like play goal from like standing on top of the net and just like hopping down. Like that guy could bunny mm-hmm. off the net.
0: Right. Yeah. Like maybe like, that's how you set a moving screen. You know, what have been the, the best spot to test this is would have been at the bike show for where great lakes when your classic was right. Cause you had a lot of these like flatland BMX and like, pro BMXers and cyclists already there if we could only have like obviously it was like only a weekend and we're worried about to just like have trials for everybody but if we could get some of those guys to come and just like try out polo I think that would have been really cool I think that did happen a little bit in some of the earlier years like they came and checked it out but that
2: was that was before my time people they talked about it a bit I, I think I think one of the things that makes bike polo so unique and is actually something that I love about bike polo is that there is no one sport that actually prepares you for it People that are good, like uh, Cam, I think, is a great example of someone that had the best possible sports background to adopt bike polo quickly, which was former bike messenger, former like heart, like cycled all the time and played lacrosse. So he had like a lot of the the stick handling mallet control muscles. Uh, and it still took him like two or three years to get up to a tournament level because it's just such a yeah, it's totally. such a unique thing. Like even if you have control over your bike, it takes like it takes people that are that like race mountain bikes. It takes people that do other that are serious about other cycling disciplines. It still takes them a year or so to get used to the weird handling of doing everything with one hand and all the weird like quick turning and stuff because it's just unique even within cycling. And then as far as like all like uh, court sports go. Having to control the ball with one hand at the end of the stick is so hard. Like it is so much harder to control a ball in bike polo than it is in almost any other sport that I've seen that that uses that type of format,
1: right? Yeah. Well, just think about the conversation we had about receiving passes. Like when you're playing basketball, like how do you receive a pass? You catch a ball that's been thrown at you. This is something you've been doing since you were a baby in most cases. But uh, in bike polo, like while you're riding a bike, holding a stick. You're going to try and like receive a ball. It just is way more foreign to most of us and completely different than what we're used to, which is one of the big challenges.
2: You heard it here. Bike polo is harder than basketball.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. Probably from a basic skill level. Yeah. Like entry level skills for sure. It's harder.
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm challenging
1: you, LeBron. Come out and let me style on you and bike. polo. <laughs> that would happen for like a month. You know that, right? Like in two months, he'd be, he'd be better than us. But maybe more than two months. I don't know. I'd love to see it happen. This I would love to see it happen. LeBron, if you're listening, come to Toronto. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It'd be good to get him in Toronto. He could join the Raptors. Maybe they'd uh, uh, do okay then. Hey, that's the hope, maybe right? Like We're trying to get him in
2: Toronto. That'd be fantastic. That is
1: my favorite trade.
2: That is my favorite timeline for
1: the NBA 2021 season. LeBron to Toronto. On that note, let's get to the beer point. What's the beer point this week, my friends?
0: Well, this week it might actually have something to do with beer because we're talking your favorite courtside beverage. Ooh, good question. This is a really tough one because
2: I I have like a go-to, like I'm a Caesar guy. I love, uh, for for those non-Canadians in the audience, a Caesar is basically a Bloody Mary with Clamato. Um, There's other stuff in it too, like Worcestershire sauce and some other, you know, I'm not a bartender, so I don't actually know how to make a good Caesar. I just know how to appreciate a good Caesar. Um, but that's not a courtside drink. Like that's... Yeah, that's like the oh God, post... Be, that, that's crazy. That That's crazy. That's crazy.
0: That's the post-tournament at the bar drink.
2: Okay, I know that Nico's answer would be a Michelada. No doubt about it. <laughs> that comes to mind as a, a classic polo drink for, for someone else. What is my... Oh, man, this is tough. Liam, you introduce
0: the topic. What's yours? Oh, okay. Uh, well... I have to say either grapefruit la croix or I don't know. I, I flip flop on beer all the time. I just get whatever is like convenient, whatever, whatever is on sale at the beer store. <laughs> That's pretty much it.
1: Just so all the listeners know, we have these questions well ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't. We do prepare, we don't prepare for anyway. these podcasts. <laughs> we just, in the heat of the moment, you know, we just forget what we wanted to say. For me, easy answer Piping hot milk, oh God. <laughs> like three point two oh. five percent, piping hot foamy milk on hot summer day. I
2: was ready for you to say water. I was ready for you to be like, I love just a nice cold water because
0: I'm. I was not ready for hot milk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like almost yeah. cream, honestly. You know
0: those Sunday afternoons when it's like 30 40 with the humidex, and I just open up my thermos <laughs> full of hot. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm just messing around. To be honest, like I'm pretty boring when it comes to drinking on the sidelines. Like very rarely do you even drink alcohol. Um, maybe if my team's doing real bad in a tournament, I might crack a beer if it's a Sunday and um, someone is and we've been eliminated. I'll definitely start drinking. Um, That's when
2: I know it's over. Is when yeah. Gavin starts drinking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's definitely a sure oh. sign. I I don't know. I usually save the drinking for the party. I don't like it on front when I'm playing polo. But um, honestly, for me, it's probably just um, some kind of carbonated water beverage, maybe lightly flavored, like um, bubbly does a decent job. The bubbly cherry, dark cherry flavor is pretty delicious. That's pretty refreshing on a hot day. And whatever coffee is courtside at a tournament, that's also a go-to, especially when you're hungover Sunday morning from the Saturday night party. Whatever free coffee they have on the sidelines, I'm just drinking that. If it's empty by like 10 a.m., you guys can come find me. It was probably me that did it.
2: Okay. Okay. I know what my favorite courtside drink was and it was a one-time thing and it was, it was hilarious. Uh, I was at, this was in Milwaukee after we'd been eliminated and I was already quite drunk. Uh, I was just polishing off our, our beers while the other games were playing and we were waiting to ride home. And I was under a tent with Corey from Florida and I think, uh, Diego was there and I've Um, there were a couple people I was very drunk at this point Um, there were a couple people there and basically Corey went to offer like he went to cheers me I like misread he kind of like held his bottle of Jameson up and I like misread (laughs) the cheers and just like grabbed it and (laughs) down I think that was my favorite quartzite drink Um, (laughs) like singular drink uh, singular drink yeah uh, yeah. yeah
1: I remember you talking about this the next day, and you're like, dude, I made a mistake last night. I think that guy hates me now.
2: Yeah, I was like, oh man, I think, like, I kind of did. And people were just like, wow, that is an aggressive maneuver. (laughs) They're like, that was, and he was just like, oh, I didn't think you were going to, like, take it and drink it all. (laughs) But it was, it was really funny. There wasn't that much left, but there was enough left. And it, uh, you know, it prepared me emotionally for the
1: rest of that night. <laughs> yeah, a crazy night.
0: Is that when you got hit by the car?
1: Uh, yeah, we got hit by a car on our way home. Oh. well, I, I didn't. Like I Gavin didn't. did. Yeah. I didn't. The most drunk of all of us was fine. I had <laughs> had my two beers, got totaled by a car, but that's okay. We Fucking survived. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> survived. Okay, Liam, we never got your answer. What
0: is yeah, it? no, I said uh, uh, Pamplemousse Lacroix.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Sorry, I forgot.
0: And uh whatever whatever cheap beer is on uh whatever cheap beer is on sale at the beer store. Although I have been getting a, have been getting a taste for nice fine German lagers. Vis a vis uh Justin. That's a gateway drink. <laughs> yeah, Justin loves the Bitburgers <laughs> and the Muncher Gold.
1: That's the problem with the Ottawa court is that like we can't really it's so wide open and the sandwich shop is so well visited by police that we really can't have just have like massive keggers in the park. You know what I mean? Especially next <laughs> well, to like the children's playground. No,
0: I don't think you could do that even if you were in a, I mean, secluded area. Maybe, maybe. Well. In some of the courts, like maybe get away with it. <laughs> yeah. But definitely infringing some uh, liquor laws there.
1: No doubt about it.
2: the The other thing I love is Toronto's been starting this <laughs> thing where... Someone will just bring, like, a 2-4 to, to pick up. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's usually me. Actually, I, should, I shouldn't even say that. It hasn't been me in a long time. Like, not just because we haven't played, but, like, other people have done this. Um, so I shouldn't even say that. It's shared in the club. Like, people will just bring a case of beer with the expectation of sharing it throughout the the club. And then usually when the lights go out, because that's when we stop playing in Toronto, uh, the lights go off because they're on a timer. And then, like, we just hang out on the court and finish whatever was in the pack. And, like, those are some of the best <laughs> hangs. Those are some of the best drinks. And they're, they're not really court side because you're usually just, like, sitting on the court at that point. But that's a good – it's a good vibe.
1: F, I miss Dufferin Grove, man. That is so much fun. Dufferin Grove after the lights go off just bones. hanging with the, the crew.
2: Dude, I miss Dufferin Grove too.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, I miss it too because we we <laughs> haven't been playing there. But I, eventually. For sure. That's our, that's our mission. Um, at the risk of getting this podcast to be a bit sad with us missing our polo hangouts and friends and stuff i just want to remind everyone that it's not about how many times you dab it's about how many times you tap back in and on behalf of myself liam and alex i just want everyone out there to know you know we're gonna get through this and we're gonna have polo again at some point and it's gonna be amazing so keep your rubber side down and i'll see you on the court thanks for listening all the way to the end Don't forget to email us at northsidepolopodcast.gmail.com. That's northsidepolopodcast.gmail.com. Until next time, bye for now.
2: And you've been warned. If you go for a cheers, I might just take your drink. (laughs) Dab, (laughs)
0: dab 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 dab